0: I'm Michelle Orman, and this is the Couture Podcast. In the last few years, the name Spinelli Kilcallen has become synonymous with chic, contemporary, and sophisticated design. And while it might seem to those on the outside that the brand and its distinctive galaxy rings achieved overnight success, its founders, Yves Spinelli and Dwyer Kilcollin actually had to work for years to try to convince stores to get behind their functionality-meets-design concept. Dwyer and Ives delight in their good fortune in being able to work alongside one another doing something that they so clearly love. Their shared sense of adventure and their deep appreciation for one another are apparent to anyone who has the pleasure to spend time with these two. We were so happy to sit down with Dwyer and Ives to learn more about their journey, their secret talents, and their secrets to a successful partnership in both life and love. I'm here today with Twyra Kilcollin and Yves Benelli. Thank you so much for being here and for being part of our Couture podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having thanks us Thanks for here. having
0: us. So, um, Yves, it's really well known that you grew up in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who grew up in much less exotic locales, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? I mean, I just kind of picture you surfing every day uh-huh. or
1: I'm 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 kind of the uh, atypical um Hawaii native because I didn't I didn't do any like beach activities or uh, though I did grow up like literally two blocks from the beach. Um you know my parents uh came to Hawaii from Italy. So and we're the only three of us in America. So I we had a very kind of unusual upbringing where I had this like European kind of influence in, you know, this very like laid back kind of um tropical <laughs> vacation, you know, climate. Um, I was, my my dad used to work in New York, so he would travel with me a lot. So I was always kind of ready to get out of Hawaii. Um, though I, I think growing up there, it was a wonderful place to grow up. It's really, you know, it's safe, it's beautiful. It's, you know, it's warm all the time. But I was kind of like the kid that was ready to go to New York City or, yeah. or LA.
0: Did it feel a little isolated maybe?
1: Yeah, it felt very isolated. And I was just having a conversation with someone Last night, about how, you know, when I grew up, of course, there was no internet. I'm I'm in my 40s, um, so you didn't really know. You knew there was stuff going on outside of Hawaii, but you didn't really know what it was. But you just always had had this feeling that there was like more more happening, and I was kind of um, antsy to get off the island and uh, you know be in the action a little bit more.
2: And what about you, Dwyer? Where did, where did you grow up? I grew up in Chicago. Um, yeah, right in the city. Um, right across the street from Lincoln Park. So so very was, different then. Yeah, <laughs> very different. I probably would have loved to grow up in Hawaii, um, although we did both grow up in – we're both only children, and we both grew up in apartment buildings, so that's kind of a shared – Either of you yeah. had a
0: yard, but you had no. a beach two blocks away, and you had a park right a in beach front of that, you.
2: But he hates. A little. <laughs> 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 it's bizarre. It <Yeah. laughs> is bizarre. But yeah, yeah. I had, it's a, little I had a park for rollerblading. Oh, nice. Yeah, I thought what? rollerblades were the future. <laughs> We had a nice balcony.
0: Do you remember that fad, the mm. rollerblading fad? <laughs> yes, I was in it. You were in it. Yeah. I can picture you, like total roller girl. Completely. Yeah, yeah. Nice. What if we strapped some of those on you right now? Do you think you'd be able to take oh, off be we can do it? <laughs> yeah,
2: she can totally do yeah. it. Yeah, the only uh, hindrance to that would be the carpets at couture. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't know. We've got the new ballroom. Maybe we uh-huh. can kind of figure uh, that yeah, make out. Make a rollerblade. Part, part of the floor plan. Yeah. yeah cool. I still yeah. have my rollerblades. Really? So she, yeah, I, I can bring them. Uh-huh. See so you'd zip it around. Uh-huh. You'd never be late to an appointment.
1: <laughs> no She's <way>. used them <laughs> somewhat recently too, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah awesome I, I I had one really bad tumble on rollerblades, mm. and that was all she wrote for me. Uh-oh. So, yeah. I, I was on them for a while, but I don't think I ever learned how to stop other than going into the grass. <laughs> so it's a very effective <laughs> technique for stopping, though. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah. That was my stop technique. I, well, I had very supportive uh, parents that were very encouraging. <laughs> okay, of, good. Uh, you know getting past that first hurdle. Okay,
0: good. Well, and so that brings me to my next question. So what were you like as a kid? Were you pretty much, you know, the same or, you know, clearly a hidden roller girl inside of you, mm. but were you always like an artistic?
2: Yeah, I, I I, think my friends that have known me for a long time definitely see the same qualities now. Um, yeah, I'm very adventurous. I loved climbing trees as a kid, rollerblading, you oh, wow. Know, exploring. And uh, I'd say I'm the I'm the same. Now I have a a kid though, so that's an excuse to do some more tree to, climbing. Yeah, to <laughs> do all those things again.
0: <laughs> that's fun. And what about you, Ives? Were you a secret jock or no,
1: not at all. Okay. Um, I was always obsessed with music. I I one of the mm-hmm. earliest things I ever did was really like collecting music. And my dad would take me shopping for cassette tapes and Eventually, records. Um, yeah, I, I was I was very into like books and music and um, and you know movies. I was really into uh, not really necessarily art, but uh, but I was definitely I like to draw. I was I was a pretty creative kid. It
0: was kind of introverted. And- yeah,
1: a little bit, a little bit. I didn't have a lot of friends until might have like a really close friend that I've I've been best friends with since fourth grade. But before that, I was kind of like. You know, I would go, go home to the apartment after school. My parents had their own business. So my mom would pick me up and drop me off. So I, was, I spent a lot of time by myself.
0: I think they called that a latchkey kid? Yeah, it was a latchkey key kid. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make
2: your own snack and pretty do your much. homework. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you should tell that story about your, um, your interview for oh, kindergarten. Oh,
1: yeah. Dwyer likes this story. Oh. It wasn't kindergarten. It was, oh, actually it was kindergarten. So I went to Punahou. Which in Hawaii is like, and Barack Obama went there also. But it's like a very, you know, it's a private school; it's hard to get into. And my mom was nervous that I wouldn't get into the school, and they had shut the admissions. However, one of her clients was on the board, so she said, "Well, I can get your son an interview, but he probably won't get in for another couple of years. It's probably a waiting list, but you should get on the on the list." So that morning, we were going for the interview. And I was, you know, I I had records. So I had this record that was, like, my favorite. It was this, like, Hawaiian children's record. Okay. And I I guess I put it on, like, the couch and I sat on it. And it totally, like, broke. Oh, no. And I was really upset. My mom was so nervous. And she said, you know, if you do a good job today, right after, we'll take you to the mall and, you know, buy you a new record. So then at this interview... um, the you know, and I, I realize now they they just want to like talk to the kids. I mean, they had me do like little puzzles and things, but she just started like talking to me and she goes, What are you gonna do with your day today? And I was telling her about my record, how I broke it and stuff, <laughs> and she was like, Wow, really? I remember she was like, You have a record, like a record player? Cause I had my own record player and everything. <laughs> and then I got in that year. And oh, I always great. think like
2: But he just came out and told her, he said, Well, mom said that if I um, if I do a good job at the interview today, that she'll get me a new record. Oh. <laughs> and I love
0: that you brought your
2: record with
0: you yeah, to yeah, the yeah, interview. Yeah, it must have yeah. been like your good luck charm or something. I
1: mean, it was, uh, yeah. I, uh-huh. I, I was often carrying records since then,
2: <laughs> it's so. so cute. And then some things haven't changed. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you. Yeah. Is he, you're
0: very much still into music?
1: Yeah. And um, I don't play, I used to play a lot more than I do. I don't really play that much. 'Cause um we're so busy, but I, I collect um records still I've since I was a kid. And I've kind of I sold off a lot of the collection when we were starting our business to sort of finance it. Okay. But now I'm buying it, um I'm buying it back. And I travel, you know, all over the place. So I always take an empty suitcase to stack full of uh records that wow. I that I buy on my trips. <laughs> Wire Dwyer She's like, Why are you bringing three suitcases?
0: Priority. Nodding her yeah, head knowingly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> So what brought you both to California? I mean, I know um, in my research review that you went to school in L.A., but is mm-hmm. that is that why yeah. you went that way?
2: I, I actually moved to California like almost five years before I went to grad school, um, and I was joining two friends to start uh, another creative business, a conceptual furniture company, which didn't end up working out at all. Um but that got me to L.A. and I realized I really liked the city and it's a great place to be as a creative person. And I'm an artist as well. And so I've, you know, for the most part, always had a studio and been making my work and working either in art galleries or in film. So that's what brought me to L.A. And then I eventually did go back to grad school for fine art um, a few years after I met Evis.
1: Yeah, actually, right when we were starting Spinelli Kill Mm-hmm a year later she got into grad school
0: so you had a new business and you were like let me just add <laughs> grad school to that <laughs>
1: kind mm-hmm. of we were much we were very small but yeah. uh, but we we did sort of discuss it and she was like you know i have 2 years and she wanted to focus on school and i said well you know i mean i'll i'll dedicate whatever needs to happen to grow this business so that we can just pick it up when you're you know have more time so that's kind of how we we really launched it in the beginning Mm-hmm. was a lot of me traveling and, you know, front-facing. There were a lot of clients we worked with, you know, since the beginning who didn't even meet Dwyer till a few years into our, mm-hmm. our relationship with them, you know. Um, so I think a lot of people in the beginning, they they knew me more than they knew Dwyer.
0: Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you do, Dwyer, appear to be kind of behind the scenes in Definitely. a lot of things. and. Yeah, and and is that by design still to this day, or it was just necessity at the beginning?
2: In the beginning, it was necessity, and then um, I mean, it does sort of fall with our division of labor within the company, where Evis does more of the sales and the business relationships, and so he does travel, you know, as part of his job more than I do. I'm the creative director, so I'm in the office designing, um, you know, managing creative teams. In LA more, so I don't need to travel as much. Um, But it's fun to to get out and get to see some of the stores and meet people. And they're like, "Oh, you
0: do exist, uh (laughs) (laughs) Snowphalupagus." Yeah, kind of. (laughs) She's
1: actually really good. She doesn't she doesn't think she's as good at trunk shows as as I am, but she's actually Mm -hmm. better.
2: I feel like Evis is the the natural social extrovert, (laughs) and you just and I'm.
0: Well, you know, but I, I think when you're working with clients, I mean, yeah. it takes a different, you know, different personalities to really get through to people. So, it's probably nice to have mm-hmm. that juxtaposition, you know.
2: Yeah. In your I mean, personality. and it's always a great asset to have two totally different personalities. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Plus,
1: you just you're good. You just I I've, mm-hmm. I've been I've been in sales and especially retail. I've worked in retail since the mm-hmm. 90s, you know, so I just have more experience. Yeah, well, than, let's
0: let's go back to that. So, you you started retail at at Maxfield's.
1: Yeah, actually even before that in in high school I sold guitars and then um and then yeah, I I moved to LA in 1997 and at that time I was um I had been in San Francisco for a few years and I was working in recording studios as a um like as an assistant engineer and I was you know writing my own music and recording music and whatever and I, I moved to LA San Francisco was outrageously um, overpriced at that time. Mm. so um, And when I got to L.A., of course, I needed a job because um, I didn't really know anyone there. But I knew Maxfield because my parents used to shop there. And, um, you know, my parents were really into fashion. So I kind of knew, you know, growing up, I wasn't really into fashion myself, but I, I knew about... She's through. through just States Yeah, event. I knew yeah. the brand names and everything through my parents. So um, I got a job at Maxfield as a cashier, I applied for a salesperson job and they were like, What? No, you're twenty years old and you just moved here like you're not a salesperson. But um but they're like, you know, we have this cashier position. So I I started as a cashier and then I I stayed there for twelve years. I worked, you know, my way up through salesperson to like a store manager. Um so that was, yeah, that was my background coming into this too. I wasn't really trained in in jewelry at all.
0: Well, so let's talk about that, the first, you know, the first Galaxy Ring, which is, you know, without a doubt, you know, what really defined, you know, gave you you a name. So where did that, the idea for that come up?
1: I mean, so I, working at Maxfield and now, you know, let's skip forward like 10 years I've worked there and we sold, you know, Maxfield was one of the stores uh, unique to that time where they actually, you know, we carried a lot of clothes, but we also carried jewelry we had like Lori Rodkin. We had you know Darlene DeSedley. We had like you know me and Roe. Like the sort of the fine jewelry, fashion, fine jewelry brands. Sure. Um, and one of our big brands, of course, was Chrome Hearts, um, which at that time had opened their own store. And I was ve- I was just very tired of seeing. I liked really heavy kind of chunky jewelry, and I loved Chrome Hearts when you know when I first started there. But after working there for so long, I was just very tired. Of seeing big skulls. And Maxfield sold a lot of like skull rings and mm-hmm. you know iron crosses and motorcycle kind of stuff. So I thought um it'd be really cool to have a ring like that was really chunky that could go across your fingers. And I had seen someone wearing like a bar, almost like a brass knuckle bar, which seemed really cool and like kind of like, you know, d- dangerous looking, but I thought. Looks really uncomfortable and hard to like size. Like, how would you even figure that out? So I thought, what if you did like three rings that were all connected that could go across three fingers? And my dad was um, in Hawaii. You know, had he had come from Italy as a blacksmith, so he he knows metal. Um, he was making jewelry as a hobby. So I said, hey, why don't you just one day we were like talking about jewelry that he was making. And I said, can you make me this ring? And I explained it to him over the phone. And we, he and I have like literally the exact same hand. Okay. So he, I said, if you make it fit you, it'll, you know, it'll fit me. So he made this kind of variation of what I wanted, which wasn't, because my dad's like, you'll never wear this thing across your fingers, way too uncomfortable. So he just put five rings together in the way that I had explained it, but they were all different gauges and they were meant to be stacked on one finger. And he sent it to me, and I'm like, that's not at all what I wanted. (laughs) But then as I played with it, I was like, oh, wow, this is actually cool. You can wear it both ways, you know, and you could wear it across two fingers. I mean, I figured out, you know, this five-stack ring could kind of go all these different ways. So um, I wore it to work immediately because I made it just to wear. I never thought, oh, maybe we'll we'll sell this to someone. Mm -hmm. And within, I think it's literally the first week, some woman came in that was visiting from London and she was like, That's such a cool ring. Like, who made that? And I said, Well, I I did. And she goes, Well, can you make me one? And I was like, I get, yeah, I think so. You know, and she's <laughs> like, I'm here for two weeks. So I called my dad and I said, Let's let's make a woman's ring. And you know, model it after my mom's hand. Like, I don't even, we didn't even know how to size that thing. So he's he's made me like six of them. He goes, Here, I'll make you a bunch. See if you can sell them. So um, that's kind of how it started. And then I met Dwyer. Mm-hmm. Right around that time,
2: and I wanted one, of course. Yeah, okay. I, I gave her
1: one of those, uh-huh. and she would wear it. Mm-hmm. And and now, after a few months, pe- both she and I, people were asking us, you know, who made that ring? Mm-hmm. Can I get one? So we, we.
2: I was working at the front desk of an art gallery too at the time. So, okay, so very um, public so people, facing. Right, so people would see my ring and want to know. And, Everything about it, yeah. And and too. so I,
0: I've I've read that you put your own sort of refinement on it. So what was what was that like? How did you mm-hmm. refine that original idea?
2: Yeah. Well, at first we started, you know, designing kind of around the ring and designing other jewelry, but found that the, just the concept, the the functionality meets design of the linked ring itself. Like that was the aesthetic, and that was the the sort of brand identity that would really carry. The brand. And so we we started making refinements. We wanted the first rings were very heavy gauge and all sterling silver. So we the next version that we made was um, a thinner gauge. It's our the first ring was is called the Aquarius. That's what we named it. And then the second iteration of it was the Vela. Um, so that was a thinner gauge, still sterling silver, but we made some of the connectors um in, in gold. gold. And this also Which, came
1: from like friends that we would, you know, in the beginning, we worked a lot with friends. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I remember there was a, a friend of ours who was Asian, and had really tiny fingers, and she loved the ring. But the one that I had was this Aquarius ring was way too crazy mm-hmm. big for her. So we were like, what if we size it down? And then we mm-hmm. realized like, oh, that's a perfect, you know, totally different look. But kind of the same look, you know. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. well, and so at that point, you must have—you're no longer calling your dad and saying, no. "Can you <laughs> make it?" No, enough? not
1: at all. I mean, you he know, couldn't. You- I mean, he runs his own <laughs> business. We actually, yeah, we found um, through someone that I had worked with at Maxfield, whose husband was making like silver buttons for some shirts. So he goes, "Yeah, there's this guy downtown in LA." So we we basically just went and found this this guy that was uh, our first jeweler you know downtown mm-hmm. LA has like a jewelry district yep. of course mm-hmm. um so we were lucky and this guy made our our rings for a mm-hmm. few years this you know he like he took apart the one i had and i hadn't even thought to map it out so he took it apart to like read you know make molds and whatever then we put it back together and it didn't actually work anymore
2: oh, so i had wow. i had to
1: find a picture of myself yeah i hadn't because it was that's actually when we started realizing like it seemed really easy to just connect a bunch of rings together but it actually took a couple years to figure out how to do it that it would actually fit people mm-hmm. comfortably.
2: Yeah, he put it back together, but in like the sequence wasn't right. Yeah. And it didn't work at all. Yeah. That's so bizarre. And I like, I was yeah. like, oh
1: my God, we had this great idea. Now I've lost it. So I found oh. this. I, there was literally a picture of me holding a glass at like a bar or something. And you could see the rings. So I like blew up the picture on Facebook, and I, I was like, oh, "Okay, here's how it goes."
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, like, phew. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where would you be? We, now? All, we almost yeah. did yeah. that. Well, we would
1: have to go back to the drawing board. On
0: yeah. That. Well, and and you know, without question. You know the the galaxy ring, which I know that you have. You know, extensive jewelry beyond that that initial yeah. the interlocking rings. Um, it really it it struck a chord. You know, it's very it's been very disruptive in the best possible way within the within the jewelry industry. So, what do you you know? And I was reading in two thousand fourteen, Vogue was writing about how it you know is taking over the Vogue offices, mm-hmm. and all these editors were wearing it. And certainly, most of the people that I know. Either own or covet one of these rings. So, uh-huh. um, what do you feel like? Why? Why did it strike such a chord with people? Mm-hmm. Why does it resonate like so across the board? It's you know unisex, and, and yeah. it
2: doesn't matter what kind of style you have. I think I think that there's something about the the pure simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the the concept is so simple: linked rings, and and so that concept is really our brand but within that people there's so much room for people to find their own design and for some people like if they have three linked rings like that number 3 symbolizes something for them mm. or for some people if they have like all yellow gold that works with their like aesthetic story in a way that's super unique to them and so i think people are able to really connect with the rings in a way that um is really individual and unique and i think part of that is you know, that there's the design of them, you know, there's not something superimposed, um, mm. you know, it's not like a like a decal or like it doesn't have, um, you know, an ornamental design to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like every part of the design is just like part of the materials that make that ring function, yeah. you know, in the most simple way. So just building this, this line off of like interconnecting circles, I think, um makes it a little bit more timeless, I feel
1: yeah, it gives I, I think that's a good that's a good point. it is I mean mm-hmm. going back to like a skull ring, the skull mm-hmm. ring says something whether you intend it to or not
0: exactly. you know people
1: will read into it in whatever mm-hmm. way they will, whereas these rings are just connected circles they're they're so basic in in a you mm-hmm. know in a fundamental way mm-hmm. that you can kind of bring your own your own meaning to it and and honestly, I mean, I think the simplicity. Um, Is key. When we started, like going back to those first few rings we made when we actually Mm -hmm. decided, you know, let's start a brand and do this. And then I was almost like, wait, I'm sure someone's done this, though. Like, can we even bring this to the market? Like, you know, I hadn't seen it, but Mm -hmm. it's so simple. I'm like, there has to be someone who's done this and we're going to look like we're copying them.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: I've never really found anything. You never
2: found anything, yeah.
1: And sometimes the most obvious, simple things are things people don't think about.
2: Well, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I I also was thinking at the time, you know, with my fine art background and having studied art history and um, also worked in galleries, um, the most revolutionary art ideas are rarely, if ever, you know, well-received in the beginning, you know, if you think of, like, the most uh, the most revolutionary artwork of the 20th century, like Duchamp's urinal, you know, how long did that take? You know, people had to be really upset yeah. about this idea of a ready-made, you know, or of, of the bottle rack, you know, of something that was already mass-produced as a, you know, as a consumer object, you know, being just recontextualized as art, you know, but it ended up completely changing the the future of art and so I always kind of kept that in mind because things didn't exactly go that well when we, you know, <laughs> That's people, that, people that knew us and understood our style liked the rings. But when we tried to show it to stores and actually make a business out of it, that was a long time yeah. of continually like just constantly exposing people to the idea. We got a lot of negative feedback really? also yeah. in the beginning. Um, it definitely helped. I think on the third or fourth year, we finally put diamonds in them, and that definitely helped. Well, but you know, we had a lot of like, "This is too simple." Where's the rest of your line? Mm-hmm. Or you know, this isn't a design; it's just a circle. Or you know, and, or it's and too I, complicated. It's or too difficult to explain to a customer. To but i um, I always kind of kept this difficulty that we had in the beginning at the back of my mind as like potentially a positive thing because yeah. if we could ever Actually, get this company off the ground. Um, you know, maybe this difficulty was somehow like an indicator of the idea being revolutionary, even if not
0: easy. Yeah. Well, with your background in fine art, I yeah. can imagine that that would be an approach, well,
1: a positive yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about mm-hmm. that Vogue article from 2014. I mean, that's basically five years after you started. we had started. And I think a lot of people then started to discover us. You know, stores and editors, and when you you know couture, you know your group of of colleagues, um, you know a lot of people thought, oh wow, these guys just came out of nowhere. We'd been around already you're five years. You're an overnight
0: success. Or yeah, something and like we that. were. And you're like no. We were trying,
1: <laughs> and like she said, we would take these. You know, first of all, we didn't have a lot of money to make a lot of samples, so we had a very Small collection of of samples to show people, um, and like she said, we didn't really you know we couldn't afford gold, we couldn't afford diamonds in the very beginning. Um, we would show these to people, and they'd say like, you know, I don't know how you guys are going to be a jewelry brand. You really just have this one like concept. I mean, that was kind of the overlying underlying like um, you know feedback, and we both thought like, well, it's such a unique idea. Like I don't think we need more than that. Like mm-hmm. I always think you look I always would look at like you know, Cartier makes thousands of pieces of jewelry. You can name two or three right now off the top of your head. That's what they're known for, you know, um, the same with like David yerman's known for for cable. yeah, I mean he mm-hmm. his company makes thousands of of skews, cufflinks, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Yep. but he's known for the cable. So I mm-hmm. thought, you know, if we could really just refine this mm-hmm. um this idea. And just really keep it focused, and just hammer this home. You know, it's either people are either going to get it, or or maybe they won't. You know, luckily mm-hmm. people did start to get it, and and you know respond to it.
0: Yeah, well, and I I can imagine what kept you going throughout that whole... I mean, it's got to be disheartening. You know, you put your yeah. your soul into something like this, and you're getting all these no's, and it, it's great that you can comfort yourself by saying, you know, mm-hmm. maybe this is a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, you know, how did you
2: keep the faith and keep was going hard. forward? Yeah, Evis's record collection was dwindling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was selling a lot. Well, you uh, know what?
1: To, I think we we knew people that... I mean, I would always think of the people that came up to us like strangers mm-hmm. basically on the street and people we would sell rings to that would tell us like, oh my God, I love it. I wear it every day. So I was I was we were always like there's the a people cost- that
2: get it. Yeah. Really they love them. it. Yeah.
1: There's a customer out there and they yeah. respond to it. Like we never had anyone tell us, mm-hmm. Oh, I bought this ring and I, I really hate I mean it was never mm-hmm. negative feedback from anyone who mm-hmm. owned the jewelry.
2: Right. So we it knew it was mainly difficult for people to figure out how they would communicate the complexity of the design to salespeople mm-hmm. to then communicate it to customers that you know couldn't already see it. But when you're you know, selling directly
0: it. to people, they yeah. they just got it. So got that's it. true. So, and so other, other designers
2: too. and friends of ours in the beginning um, responded so well to it that yeah. I think we you know, in those few sales to our friends, the, the earliest rings were you know, pretty much all named after the people that bought them. <laughs> yeah, that's You know, right. if someone would say, well, like uh, my friend Sonny Rouchet," like she saw one and she wanted to make, you know.
1: We made her wedding a- ring.
2: Yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, it's a couple of gold bands and then one diamond one. And, and,
1: and we took that, put it mm-hmm. into the first like diamond collection, called it Sonny, mm-hmm. and that's like our best-selling ring. It's uh, named uh, after our friend.
0: Yeah, <laughs> It's <was> just
1: hilarious,
2: <laughs> you know.
0: And what, So was there one real sort of watershed moment for you? in terms of shifting the, the you know, the direction for stories not getting it to all of a sudden, it's a phenomena?
1: I think the Diamonds did it. hmm We, I think, yeah, I mean, I could tell that story. You could, or you could tell it they, with Ikram. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I told you the first ring was the Aquarius. The second one was a Vela. Um, and then shortly after that, or not shortly after, a couple years, um, we met with Ikram, uh, from the boutique in Chicago, and she said, "Well, this is just fabulous." And we're like, "Yes!" And she, the yes, store, thinks stuff. it's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. And she said, "What we need to do is just, you know, I want to. We'd, we'd previously done, you know, one band of diamonds. You know, not even pave, way. just like." Because like It's 10 expensive. Set yeah. diamonds um, yeah. it's hard it. to make that first step. So she said, well, I'd like to custom order one, you know, and she wanted the whole thing with pave diamonds. Fabulous. So we were so excited because, you know, the, the fact that she was buying it would enable guaranteed us to, sale. you know, guaranteed sale. So why not go for it? And, um, you know, and then we realized like, okay, we need to figure out how to, you know, finance ourselves making yeah. some more of these. And, uh, you know, an ECROM, E she uh, called uh,
1: Sally Singer, yeah. at Vogue, mm-hmm. right? She, you'd literally, right that like, moment,
2: and said, "You know, you have to see this and that." Yeah, it really took off from there. That,
1: that that's fantastic. That was in mm-hmm. 2013, and I think that year up until 14,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we started getting like some buzz, mm-hmm. and we realized, like, all of a sudden. And I think looking back, um, I think we were in a really interesting place in the market where mm-hmm. people were again, like I said at Maxfield, I was used to clients spending you know money on jewelry but i think a lot of boutiques didn't really know they had that client you know i it was incredible to me that people would say like well i don't i can't sell you know jewelry over like $2000 then i'm like yeah but you're selling Celine bags for you know $3800 like your clients if there's someone spending that much on a bag or shoes you know they can they'll buy the jewelry like there's you know and i think at that point a lot of these boutiques were starting to realize they actually did have that client and that client was you know, tired. They they were getting clothes from you know H and M and whatever, and they would were rather invest their money in um, in jewelry. You mm-hmm. know, And
0: something that's a, an heirloom that yeah.
1: they can pass yeah. on and and I think we were in, in, a, in a good place for that. Mm-hmm. But also, I think the product just really spoke to people yeah. all of a sudden.
2: I remember when Eva's called me and said that Ekram wanted to meet with us. I, you know, we both knew that you know her reputation of being able to launch young brands. And so that that was so exciting. I remember I was in the parking lot of my grad uh-huh. school. Um and I just started screaming and jumping <laughs> around. <laughs> down. And everyone else was kind of looking at me. <laughs> like, Is she okay? Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she yeah. was a big, she was a big supporter. And she's actually <gasps> the one too that told us she's like, you guys need to do this. And we were, we were mm-hmm. like, well, we can't we could barely afford, we wouldn't have made that ring. If not her buying it, we wouldn't Mm -hmm. have invested, you know, thousands of dollars. And she's like, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you guys got to figure this out because that's your future. Um, if you can do that,
0: that's a great fairy godmother to have.
1: She's still supportive and Mm -hmm. friends with a lot of our friends, yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) And you know, and and what's interesting, even you know, and there were other buyers and stores, and looking back, I, I always think, like, you know, the ones like her that have these great reputations for finding people there were other stores too like Armories was another one they were like our second store they got the rings right away they were like oh these are amazing they're fabulous um you you can clearly see these you know some of these retailers that have these like sort of you know heritage stories i mean they really are the ones taking a chance on mm-hmm. new brands new designers mm-hmm. um i think there's you know there's obviously a reason why they're so respected in the industry you know and and you have it in your jewelry stores too i mean I think uh it's interesting, you know. Yeah,
0: it really is. And it's
1: hard I think for retailers, you know. I mean, I think to invest money in something you don't know. I mean, you really have to believe in your eye and you have to believe in your, you know, that your customers will understand it. It's kind of a big step.
0: Yeah. And and prior to that, you have to have that solid relationship with your customer that Absolutely. they trust that if you're telling them it's it's what they want, that's mm-hmm. what they want. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, tell me a little bit more about the, you know, kind of daily design process. I mean, I'm sure that you come up with a million ideas and not everything can go into production because mm-hmm. even though you're not still selling off record collections, um, mm-hmm. everything is an investment. So how do you determine mm-hmm. sort of what goes into production and what, you know, when you're introducing new collections to the piece, like how does, what's that process
2: like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we we've learned a a couple of things that we always keep in mind over the years. Um, one of them, you know, firstly is just our aesthetic and the core of the brand being interlocking circles, the the kind of variation of gauges within a jewelry piece, whether it be um, an earring or uh, chains. You know, we make a lot of custom chains now that have that same, you know, three gauges of thicknesses or the doubling of links. Um, so we have our own kind of vocabulary of different sizes and functions of interconnecting circles that, you know, we use in-house um, to kind of describe what we're doing. So like an annulet is a ring that only goes around another ring, okay. whereas a connector connects two rings. Okay. You know, so we have this whole vocabulary of how, um, how all these different parts can come together. Um, so I think that's one and then after that the difficulty is how do you design something new <laughs> like such a uh concise vocabulary um so we do a lot of cad designing um we have a great cad artist in the beginning i used to do the cads myself um but now mostly um work with our cad in-house cad artist um so we'll sketch out ideas or we have you know some hardware wire that we can make, you know, like a (laughs) galvanized steel version of something just to see how, like, it might function. Um, And so we have a lot of designs that kind of go in a holding tank of, um, you know, not ready to be produced yet. Because the other thing that's very important that we've learned is if you do something kind of new, um, it kind of needs like a little family to be introduced to the world. Mm -hmm. So if it's a little bit off the chart, of what we already have in our collection, um, it doesn't tend to do well. So if we have one great earring, but it's different from all the other earrings, yeah. we you know we put it aside and wait until we get more <laughs> earrings that are like it, so that it, we can release them all together.
1: And also, uh, it, yeah. tells, it, it seems to take couple. Well, I think we've determined two or three years for anything new to kind of actually yeah. pick. I mean, and literally, then, we'll show. Some of these earrings to stores, you know, for, because we always make new ring variations. So when we do markets or couture, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll show the new ring styles and we'll show these earrings and people kind of look at it and then they order more rings and then after like two years, they go. Well, I didn't know you guys were doing these earrings. I'm like, well, we've had them for two years. Like but I it showed lit- you
0: two years ago. And all of a sudden,
1: <laughs> though, then and it's okay because I, uh-huh. we, you know, we like the sort of longevity of the pieces. But it's interesting. Yeah. But we it's realize just like we the can't rings. Judge. Like you
2: put it out there, and then you just wait. Yeah, and just you hold on. You can't judge the you know? success.
1: For at least a couple of years to see if it's going to Yeah. Gonna In the stick. beginning,
2: if, you know, if a new earring didn't do well, you would take it off the We'd line sheet off. right after that market. Oh, you know? got oh, it. Oh, this wasn't good. You know, but now. And then you realize you had to be more patient. And- yeah. Yeah. You know, but some of those samples would go out and, you know, a celebrity would wear it for some uh, runway thing. And then, you know. It'll, that
1: just happens. It'll
2: I know, but it'll come back. Yeah
1: yeah we we had this earring Dwyer design Saturn earring Sa- this yeah Saturn earring. It, mm-hmm. literally I think it was 2014 or fifteen, so it's mm-hmm. been like five years. okay since we mm-hmm. we showed it to people um, some some private clients liked it, stores no one got behind it. We've had literally like one sample left, and I didn't even realize we still had it, but it went to Kate Blanchett for this um fashion week she did the Ralph's Lauren Ralph's Club. Um, and of course, she looked amazing and we of love course, Kate always. Blanchett. And she wore these earrings and it got posted on Instagram. And immediately, like, four people ordered these, like, clients of ours ordered them. And stores were saying, Oh my God, those new earrings you guys are doing. And they're probably the very first earring that ever we designed. And, you know, it's it, they were ahead of the time. I don't know what mm-hmm. it was, but like, now five years later, we're, yeah. we're developing. So, Dwyer's new,
0: kind of like a clairvoyant. Yeah, like,
1: she's ahead of the
0: time. You're a seer. From uh, four years away.
2: I don't know. <laughs> I think so. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure it all out. I, <laughs> I like designing. I like putting things together. It's a matter of like figuring out how to make that work. I
1: know? think what's interesting about us too as designers and you know, Dwyer is the creative director and together we both, you know, I, I kind of design more from like a. I give like feedback and, and also kind of think of the sales end of it but i think what's interesting about our process is that neither of us are really from a jewelry background so i think you know and and that could be that could be um limiting to some degree but i think for what we do um we come up with ideas maybe that you know are just so outside of the you know the realm of what other designers are doing and i love i mean I'm, we both are very um enamored with you know great Bench work, and I mean, some of these these artisans are they're mm-hmm. so incredible.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
1: not really what we're doing, you know. We don't have intricate, you know, shapes that where mm-hmm. you're setting tiny little diamonds underneath other, you know, yeah these these things that would take days to even create. Um, but I think we come up sort of more conceptually with ideas that uh, you know sometimes might be a little unusual mm-hmm. in the market mm-hmm. of so- our...
0: So you're not on like a, a, I need to release this collection seasonally or anything along those lines. I think with, mm-hmm. with respect to the, artic- the article that I read in the New York Times about the table and sconce, which, by the way, oh, I'd yeah. like to get into, oh. is that you're on an inspiration-based schedule. So is the, the jewelry similar
2: in that way? Yeah. We, we do try. I mean, we're designing all the time. Every day that I'm in the office, there's designing and creativity going on. Um,
1: Literally every day. Yeah, but we're reviewing samples or,
2: but we don't, we don't really work on a collection basis because yeah, that, that kind of cycle, um, does seem a little bit, um, I don't know. I don't want to say forced, but just sort of superimposed. Yeah. Um, and I think jewelry can have its own, its own cycle of, you know, you can design a new collection that seems right at a certain time of year, uh, that, Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And also, you know, like she's talking about that veil the veil ring, the second thing we did. I mean, that's still one of our top sellers.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, so a lot of the stores, even stores we've worked with for many years, continue to order the same pieces, you know. So we don't feel yeah, we don't want we don't want people to look at us as like fashion on the fashion calendar, yep. you know.
0: Understood. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of fine jewelry designers yeah. would, would and, agree with that. And
1: yeah. I think it's actually dangerous for find jewelry designers to get too much on a fashion calendar, because it almost it almost sort of, um, I wouldn't say it cheapens the work, but it's like, you know, if you have a great design, why does it need, again, let's go back to David Yerman, for instance, it's the 70s, and people are still buying a lot of those same designs. Exactly. You know, I mean, there's exactly. no need for for that to keep changing. You it know? really
0: is timeless. Yeah. And what, you, what you all are doing is really timeless. So.
1: Well, that's what we were trying to accomplish. <laughs> and thank you.
0: Well, um, yeah. so tell me about kind of a day-to-day.
1: Um, we, so I'm, I'm in the office every day that I can be. I mean, we're five days a week. So um, yeah, I, for me, my day-to-day is very, um, you know, I'm meeting with the team. If I'm, if I'm in LA, I'm, I'm trying to spend a lot of time with our team and we have, you know, like we have about 14 employees um, that are not even the jewelers, but like our, our team.
0: Oh, that's great. With
1: sales and, you know,
0: shipping and what have
1: you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's
0: feeling to employ people. It
1: really is actually. I mean, I think about it and also our jeweler, um, Rogelio is like our main jeweler. He used to be a setter. And when we sort of outgrew our original jeweler several years ago, he, he opened a shop for us and brought a bunch of his colleagues and 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 employed them and he was sort of like hey how long you know how how long can you sustain these orders i mean we had so many orders for him but he goes you know if i employ all these people like are we going to keep getting more keep business inside, yeah. and i said you know I promise you if we can if we can do this correctly now, we'll we'll keep trying. I mean, I think we're gonna keep going. And now he's got like twenty employees.
0: That's incredible. And
1: um he'll say like, Oh, you know, you work hard, you you bring us all work and and, and it is kind of like um profound to think that you know, we are really you're providing. responsible
0: for the livelihoods yeah. of a lot of people and their families. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a fantastic feeling.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I don't. I don't ever feel. You know, some people are like, "Wow, that's a lot of pressure." I don't feel the pressure. I think it's. I think it's amazing that we can all come together, and you know, share this um, experience. So yeah, a lot of my time day to day is really making sure everyone is, um, you know, on the same page. I mean, I go out. I go out in the world and meet the clients I meet the buyers i'm seeing you know i'm hearing positive feedback all the time. it's important for me to bring that back and let everyone know too that the work we're all doing is is really getting out there and of course, if there's things that need fixing, we got to make sure those are those are being taken care of too. Um, Dwyer is at home much more than I am, uh, and her day is really kind of the same, um, but even more from like a design perspective and um yeah, there's there's so much. I don't know. I like I read once um, a CEO of a company. Someone asked him like his day to day, and he's like, I don't know. I go to work, and there's so much work, and when I leave, <laughs> there's still a lot of work, and like I don't really know what I've done in between. But, but you're just always kind of trying to make it make it come together, you know. But my but my um, my area of focus is really you know front facing with with um, clients and and also with the sales team and and our vendors and everything to make sure we're all on the same page.
0: So tell me a little bit about some of the benefits and the challenges of working with your partner, with your spouse. I mean, I'm sure that they're, you mm-hmm. know, and, they, and creating, you know, sort of a balance. You have a child. And so how do you, you know, balance all of that and, you know, still have a great relationship with one another? Do you have any tricks or is it uh, anything you can share with us?
2: Uh, Marry a good partner. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, that's, <nice. laughs> that's. I no, I'm. That's that's my trick. It's I just really lucked out. Evis is a, just a joy to work with, and um, that's really nice. He's he's great at what he does, and he's a great partner, and so we, I don't know, we get along really well, and we have a yeah, great time. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah,
1: we have fun. Yeah, I think what when 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 I think about it, I think we. We both. Um, I, I wouldn't have done this now without her. Like I, you know, I had that idea before I met her, uh, but we. I wouldn't have turned this into a company like I have with her. And I think, you know, I, I feel like it's the kind of the cliche where the you know, the whole is greater than the sum mm-hmm. of the parts. Is that how you say it? Uh,
0: yeah, something along <laughs> the whole those is lines. Greater, greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like we're really complementary to each mm-hmm. other. And we I think what we do really well is defer to each other, mm-hmm. you know? Um,
2: yeah. In the beginning, we both did all of the same things. And then over time, we just naturally sort of fell into two pretty different roles. So. Well, that's great. To yeah. Device. And we so both trust our, each other
1: in in the respective roles.
2: Right. So I trust all of his sales feedback and his um, you know, his understanding of different accounts and relationships and, like, how to expand the business. And he defers to my sort of creative instinct or um, idea of how, like, you know, the website or the aesthetics or, like, the brand imaging or identity should, should unfold. So,
1: And also I think um, maybe because my parents ran their own business and, and still to this day run their own business, <clears throat> I think it would be really strange to be in a relationship and not have like the, I feel like we share this as part of Mm -hmm. any other part of our relationship, which we, you know, which we share or like any couple, you Mm -hmm. know, they have the longevity of that relationship is based on the sharing that, you know, that they experience Mm -hmm. together. I think it'd be weird for, for us not to share this. I think it would Mm be, I don't know. I couldn't think of what it would be like.
0: Yeah. Especially since that was your model growing up. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. maybe that's
1: what it is. I well, think the only challenge sometimes, and it's not so much of a challenge because I think we both really enjoy what we do. But I think sometimes the challenge might be when to like not talk about work or
2: mm. or when. We talk about work a lot. Yeah, yeah but yeah, but it's imagine. our life, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think it,
1: it it's um, it doesn't ever feel like work. Yeah. I think it's all, like the other day Dwyer was saying, you know, we were traveling here and I, I tend to get kind of um, OCD and, and crazy when boarding a plane. And she brought up the, the point that, like, you know, it's like an adventure anyway. I mean, we always have, mm-hmm. like, we laugh at it's just silly stuff in the airport. I don't know. We, mm-hmm. it, it, if you look at it as from an, like we're going on an adventure, you know, then it's actually like, are we really working? I mean, we came down here today. This is kind of like an adventure, you know, we're, we're <laughs>
0: financial I, district. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's something yeah. new
1: or, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, you know, we have fun mm-hmm. doing, doing all this. Exactly. And bringing in our son, Jandrin we've been bringing him a lot actually since he's been born
2: mm-hmm. and
1: this might be totally counterintuitive but i feel like dwyer's been traveling with me more on on you know work trips
2: it is totally counterintuitive and totally true and bringing the baby <laughs> along yeah. with us you
1: know we've taken him to china we've taken him to the middle it's east it's like
2: all the best trips have happened like after the baby yeah. came so yeah, i've been yeah. trying to go to the middle east my yeah. whole life and, <laughs> and then china. we finally get invited to kuwait <laughs> yeah. and like are flying through dubai i'm not going to miss that no.
1: So it's actually and it's more fun for me because you know those trips can often be they're very it's very it's very much like you know hurry up and wait it could be you know when it's really busy and you're just involved it's it's very um you know you're in the moment, and then after when you're just by yourself on the plane or in a hotel room or something, it's just kind of lonely yeah um and it's nice to have you know the family there and and it's nice that we again we're working together toward this bigger you know, picture of our lives.
0: So, you know, you mentioned this sort of larger experience of your life, and I've been thinking about this for a while, trying to make my question a little bit succinct. But, you know, there's no doubt that you make beautiful things and that you've created this, you know, fantastic company, and now you're employing people and you're responsible for the livelihoods of many, many people. But why this as opposed to... (laughs) developing cosmetics or, you know, mm-hmm. flying planes, mm-hmm. like why, why does why this, this seem to make sense? Because you both seem like very soulful and introspective people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, how does this sort of reconcile with those, that aspect of your personality and who you, who you are as, as humans, you know, it seems to fit. And I'm just, yeah. you know. That's an
1: interesting question, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, why, why not clothing line or.
2: Well, we both, when we met, we both um, worked for other people, but really envisioned ourselves being self-employed at some point. And so we, you know, we were in love and we wanted to do something together. So, um, you know, Evis had these first rings that he'd designed with his dad and it seemed like, you know, it was equally distant from both of our backgrounds but also kind of close and if you think about it it's really the intersection of between fashion and um, sculpture mm-hmm. yeah you know it's like jewelry is basically like a wearable sculpture um and so i I think that's yeah. part of the reason it made sense
1: yeah I think it's part partial partially like opportunity that was just there mm-hmm. you know I think
2: but we had a lot of other things that we were trying we when did. we first met. That's right. You know, we were. I'd have
1: to look at the paperwork <laughs> to remember what, exactly what we were talking about. We did well, a
2: another thing. We also started a band. We did a rock band. Oh, nice. And and which we
1: thought maybe we could license some songs.
2: Uh-huh. I think we, we had, for a second thought that could kind be of a of like fire. we like, what do you we do went in everywhere. the band? Um, I played the bass. Sweet. <laughs> hmm We had a couple of shows. More Evis is really good. A really good musician. I'm not a really good musician. Um, but uh, at some point, you know, it was just too much to be doing the rehearsals, uh, yeah. you know, in the recording studio and then the jewelry and the early morning pickup at the jewelry district, you mm-hmm. know, and meetings with the jewelers and then both going to our jobs, you know. And I said, Evis, you know, I think we need to to streamline and focus our lives. So, you know, one of these things has to go. And he looked at me like, like really excited, and I could tell that he wanted me to say that we should focus on the band. <laughs> no, I knew the joke. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so disappointed. I wasn't. And I was that. like, <laughs> we can't do the band anymore. <laughs> um, no, sorry. I kind of sorry. I, was, I, the, the, you
0: still look like a rock star though. Yeah.
1: So I'm the guy I'm that's like in, some comfort in, in that. the record store. People ask me like, "Where's the like country section?" Yeah, like whenever I look like I work in the record store. <laughs> Or um, yeah, or when I travel, people will, like if I go to like Atlanta or something, people are like, "Are you on tour? Are you in a band?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but I think it was just like the opportunity. Though I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think what we ended up doing, and I don't quite know, we didn't set out to start a jewelry brand until we decided that's like what we do. We but we had this we had this ring concept again, like we discussed. Like you know, we thought we thought we could do something with it, but I think this what this company does is really um, employ both of our skills very Mm -hmm. well. You know, like to me, my, like I was always kind of dabbling in lots of different things and really up until my mid thirties, early thirties, I didn't quite know what, what it was that I would ever do with my life. What
0: you want to be when you grow up. Yeah, kind of.
1: I didn't know, but I, and I would think about like, well, what are my talents? And I think, what I really am good at is just, I like people and I like being, I like meeting new people. I like working with people. You know, I I was a top seller when I was at Maxfield. I, and I wasn't even trying to sell. I just, I just enjoyed working with people. And I think we're so, I'm so fortunate to have that role and in a company that's, you know, that I'm part of that I can kind of just travel around and like work with cool people and and we actually can make a business on that. That's sort of how I, at the end of the day, look at my job. Yeah. Um, And I think the same Dwyer is just really good at, you know, creating and she's an incredible artist separate from, from our business too. And, you know, we're, I think we're just really fortunate that we've had this, um, this company, you know, and I don't know, Mm -hmm. I don't know that it could have been clothing or cosmetics. I mean, I'm certainly not very Mm -hmm. interested. You Mm -hmm. know, the jewelry, I made it originally for myself. Mm -hmm. I find I'm able to sell anything that I believe in, but I think I I don't know that I would have gone as far with cosmetics because I'm not interested in cosmetics.
0: One question I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite, you know, they say there's no such thing as a jewelry emergency, but we Uh know that there is such a thing as a jewelry emergency. So what's your favorite jewelry emergency story?
1: An interesting emergency was when we got engaged. Um, we went to I had a trip to Japan. Our my very first time that I was, you know, gonna go to Japan to work with with our um a store we work with there. Ron Herman okay. was our first store in Japan. And they wanted me to come out for a trunk show. We didn't really have a lot of money for us both to travel, but I thought it would be really cool if, if Dwyer could come and then she was like, "Yeah, maybe I don't need to go." But anyway, at the last minute, she kind of decided to, that she was going to join,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I was making an engagement ring prior to this. And I thought, you know, when I got back from Japan, I'd figure out how to how to you know propose. But then I thought, oh my god, how amazing would it be if we proposed in Japan? So I had this whole plan where you know we were going to be there for like a week. So like the last night we were there. You know, I planned this, like, really nice, like, sushi restaurant I got a reservation, really fancy place, and I was going to propose. So when we got to Japan, I had her ring in this, like, little pouch, which was in my duffel bag. So we go to Ron Herman to drop off the jewelry, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put the pouch in this little zip-up bag so uh, of compartment of my bag so i don't forget it and i'll just leave it there until saturday when, when you know we're going to go out so saturday morning comes along and i go to pull the rings out and they're totally gone i have oh, no man. idea where this pouch is <laughs> and i'm like oh my god what and meanwhile if you go to asia from from anywhere in america you're just perpetually jet lagged and yeah. you just so turned around especially japan you know, it's, the, it's your first time there. It's like yeah. you're in a totally different planet, almost.
2: Exactly. So
1: I'm just like racking my head, trying to think, what the hell did I do with this little pouch? And she's like, "Come on, let's go. We got to go." Meet-. All I know
2: is I woke up in the hotel room to this gasp. This. <gasps> <sighs> What, 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 what happened? He's like, I lost something. I lost something. And I know, Evis, when he gets in his jet lag state, you know, it's, you know, he has an absolute panic and then two minutes later, whatever it is, is resolved. <laughs> you know, and he like found his toothbrush or whatever. <laughs> you know, but he like didn't seem to be calming down. I'm like, all right, I'm sure. You
1: yeah, know, we'll so I'm like.
2: Out. But he's like, okay, we need to just take get in a cab. I'm like, okay.
1: The last so- thing I could think of was that was when I put it when I remembered back to days and days before when I put it in the the little zip up thing of my bag, mm-hmm. we were at this cafe at, at a Ron Herman store. So in my mind, I'm like, darn, I must have left it on the counter of the restaurant, like at our table. So we had to rush back to the store. So in the cab, she's like, what did you, what did you lose?
2: Uh-huh. Like, what is this even about? Where are we going? Like, why are we going in a cab? Back and to the store.
1: I like couldn't come up with any. I was like, I have my dad's <laughs> like bracelet in there, and she's like, "Well, that's not a big deal. We could like, you know, that's that's okay if you lost that." Yeah. And I'm like, "No." Nah. So <laughs> anyway, I finally, I finally, and I didn't know if we'd actually find the ring, so I told her, and I said, "You know, <laughs> I was mad. gonna this is per- after
2: after five yeah. hours, and for whatever reason, Japanese cab drivers, in spite of the fact that they do not speak English, they're super chatty." So they just keep speaking to you in Japanese no matter what. So it was like our third cab ride after going, retracing our steps through Tokyo, you know, and the driver's like, you know, talking and all this stuff. And then I'm like, Eva's, what was in the pouch? Why are you freaking out? And he's like, well, it was your engagement ring. Oh, my God. And just then like even the cab driver was just silent. (laughs) There was no sound in the cab. And I would just, I was like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> and literally two seconds later, the phone rang, and yeah,
1: it was found. a
2: manager at Ron Herman had gone back into the office on a, a on their weekend, oh. and yeah. found it like right I there. Left,
1: I had left it on someone's <laughs> desk, and yeah. and to and the Japanese. You know they're so um, respectful. Yes. No one had even looked. No one touched it. It just sat Mm -hmm. on someone's desk for days, and no one even opened it to see what it was. Yeah,
0: you could have left it on the street for days, and and even the
1: even the manager of the restaurant, when we were trying to explain it, he said. Don't worry. In Japan, nobody steals. And I said, "No, I, I know that. I'm sure it's it just got misplaced anyway." That's, so that's how so you
0: found out you're was <laughs> huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, romantic. it wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't quite
1: that romantic, but mm-hmm. it ended well, up being that's a up, good story. Were yeah, you,
0: were you able to go to your fancy yeah mm-hmm. and
1: Yeah, and then we went to the uh, top of the Mandarin mm-hmm. Hotel to mm-hmm. the bar. That was cool. And uh, even though she knew she went to the bathroom, and I probably figured when you came back I'd be proposing. But anyway, that that was the uh, the proposal. Mm-hmm.
0: Such a cute story. Yeah.
1: So that's kind of an emergency. You won't, you <laughs> won't
0: forget that proposal story. Yeah. <laughs> no. I
1: made an emergency. I was one of those clients that was like calling <laughs> you, making an emergency. emergency. <laughs> My emergency became everyone's emergency. Uh-huh. But that so, does yeah. sound like an emergency. <laughs> yeah. It really does. It was it's kind of an emergency. <laughs> it was yeah. It was kind of an emergency.
0: Um so favorite quote either
1: of you. You know what quotes been, and I told Dwyer this the other day, it's a, it's from a Smith song, but it runs through my head so often. I don't know why, but it's, it's so easy to laugh. It's so easy to hate. It takes strength to be gentle and kind, Oh. which I think is really interesting to think about. And I think about that sometimes as I, as I wander the streets, especially in New York, it pops in my head a lot. Because yeah. everyone looks like, seems so gruff and like, in a hurry. <laughs> and you it? kind of, yeah, I mean, and this is not just New York. It's kind of everywhere. But that, I think that's a really interesting thought. It is true. It's, it's a lot, it takes a lot to be kind to people. Yeah,
0: it does. It does.
1: It's not somehow not in most, most of our natures in this Western world mm-hmm. that we're in. I think that's a really good one.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. Well, we know that you have a secret skill of rollerblading. Do you mm-hmm. have any other secret skills? I have Can't a lot th- of
1: secret
2: skills. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, any any a- sort
1: of like really um, athletic kind of uh, activity. I can see that. Dwyer will excel at mm-hmm. river rafting, mm-hmm. rock climbing.
2: Yeah, I used to be really into rock climbing, mountain climbing. When I was a That's- kid, I did Spanish Web, which was like a circus kind of like predates silks in the okay. circus where you like climb a rope and then you put your hand or your foot so in a loop badass. and they, they spin you around <laughs> that's pretty fun
0: that's so badass <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> I think it's I think
0: it's what cool. about you do yeah. you have any
1: secret skills um I play music I play guitar mm-hmm. um, he's really good at guitar and uh I cook I think I'm a good cook mm-hmm. I've, I cook a lot I what's love- your specialty you know, I kind of, I don't really, I'm not good at following recipes. And I'm, so I'm terrible at baking um, any sort of desserts or anything, which I don't eat dessert either. So that makes me even worse. But um, I'm good at just sort of whipping things up. I love to, I love to improvise mm-hmm. with just like, sometimes I'm like, do we haven't bought groceries for a week? I've been traveling, you know, there's nothing to make. But then I look in the fridge and I'm like, oh, I know what I'm going to make. And I just pull some odds and ends together. But I just love, I love creating um, food. I don't know. That's my thing. That's I actually right. at one point mm-hmm. thought maybe I'd go work in a kitchen, and then I realized that's not my thing at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and so lastly, unless there's other stuff that you guys feel like you want to um, hit upon, but what would your brand mascot be?
1: Ooh. Mm. That's a good Dwyer.
0: I'm looking at you and I'm seeing a, a lioness, but... Um,
2: I was thinking, I, we, we always have cats. Mm. Yeah. So a cat, but then I don't know if a cat is a good symbol of the... Well...
1: it Could be. Could
2: be. We In have a, a cat right now called the squirrel. Okay. I always wonder <laughs> exactly how confused we'll make our 16-month-old son with this, but... She is kind of like a hybrid between a squirrel and a cat. Okay. She has the behaviorisms of a squirrel. Yeah. So Just maybe don't maybe that can any
0: squirrels. That's
1: yeah. probably not. <laughs> yeah, with the <laughs> babies. Yeah. When we when we first started, um, you know, we used to work out of our garage. So then when we first started hiring people, um, and Marissa, who, you know, was one of our first employees, but then we had like three people and we were all working in the garage and the cats we had we had two cats at that time or three. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. At least two, but they would come and just kind of like throw all the jewelry bags on the floor <laughs> out of like the tray and just like use the tray that's as a what bed. They do. Yeah. And our, our employees were always getting a real kick out of our, our cats. So I think that's a, probably I think, a good... Yeah. A good, I think uh, we found
0: your mascot. I think mm-hmm. it's a good mascot. Thank you so much for coming. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy that you're here.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having us. This has been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Couture Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.